Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Once again, let me welcome you to Faith Christian, both here in the building, those of you watching online on the other side of the camera, we're glad we get to spend this time together. We do exist here at Faith Christian for one reason, and that is to help people find and follow Jesus. And if there's any way we can help you take your next step as a follower, follower of Jesus, we want to journey with you in that. We want to walk beside you and along with you as we help you take your next step as a follower of Jesus, as you find and follow Jesus. Again, the best way to do that is to go to our website, front page of our website. There's a connect button. Click that connect button. Let us know how we can walk with you, journey with you in your relationship with Jesus. I also want to mention to you uh, for our faith students, that's our middle school and high school group, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock here in the, in, in the church building. 6 o'clock tonight, faith students, middle school and high school students. Hope that we will see all of your middle school and high school kids there. Welcome home. We are in week three of our fall Welcome Home series. We're in the last of our uh, prodigal son part of this series. We'll move on to a different topic and different subject next week, still keeping with this theme of Welcome Home all the way through Christmas time. And uh, we, we've been journeying for the last, uh, the last several weeks through this beautiful story, one of my favorite places in the New Testament, Luke chapter 15, this story that Jesus tells about a dad that had two sons, and one of the sons goes, goes a little squirrely, and the other son stays home. We'll talk both, bo- about both of them in just a little bit. Now, as we get into it today, let me ask you this. Do you remember the last time you were ever in so much trouble? You were ever in a situation that was so deep that you had no choice but to ask for help? This happens in my house a lot because I know about this much about home repair. And by this much, I mean I know just enough to be dangerous. And so more than once, I've gotten into a project. I've begun a project. Oh, I can do this. I can handle this. Only to have to go, I don't know what I'm doing. Or it's fine. We'll just leave it like that forever. So recently, and by recently, I mean Friday, um, we, we ordered a new stove for our house. We needed a gas line run for our new stove. I said, ha ha, I can do this. I can run a gas line. We've got gas in the house. I just got to run a little line right up to the kitchen. I see it right there, the crawl space, drill a hole through. It's not a problem. I can do this. My wife, bless her heart, she loves me. I promise she does. She said to me, no. I said, what? She goes, you will call a plumber. I said, well, I am not going to pay somebody all that money to come to our house and do something I can do. That's my big thing. She goes, no. That's her sign for she's done talking about it. You will call a plumber. I said, why? She goes, I don't want our house to blow up. Fair enough. You ever, do you remember the last time you were in so much trouble? You were in a situation so deep you just had to ask for help. It's hard to admit when we need help. It's hard to admit when, we, when we've made self-destructive choices in our lives that we need help to move past them. It's hard when we've hurt those who we love the most. It's hard when you find yourself in a situation that you are in over your head, whether financially or relationally or spiritually or medically or morally or homeownershiply. But in the story, this epic story of the prodigal son, we saw last week how when this young son finally came to a point in his life where he admitted, I need help. I can't fix it on my own. I can't do it on myself. I can't fix my broken life on my own. The term the Bible uses is he came to his senses. Remember that from last week? He came to his senses. 
and he decides to crawl up out of that pig pen where he had ended up and he heads in a new direction he heads toward home and in the most dramatic of scenes i think the most dramatic scene in the entire scripture the father who remember represents our heavenly father in this story the father who had been looking every day for his son watching the horizon hoping against hope that his son would return home the father sees him on the horizon and this father runs to meet him before anybody else can get there before the community can shame him before the community can cut him off with a ceremony we talked about last week called the kezazah and the father throws his arms around his son and he hugs him and he kisses him and he welcomes him home and he says, my son was lost, but now he's found. And it is just this amazing moment. But yet I want you to look at how this son responds to this lavish love. This amazing grace that the father is literally heaping upon him with hugs and kisses and joy. Look how the son responds to this amazing grace in verse 21. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He breaks out into this little speech that he had been practicing this speech all the way home. And even after seeing the father run to him and welcome him, this father come, he sees his father come with mercy and compassion, even after being embraced and hugged and bombarded with kisses, even after this unmistakable signs of the Father's love and grace, this son's self-image hasn't caught up to his new identity. He still can't understand that he is a part of the family once again. He expected to be cut off. He expected to, to, to be ostracized. He expected to be sent away. He can't understand that he's once again welcomed home. His mind, in his mind, he feels, I am no longer worthy of this. I'm no longer worthy to be in this place, to have this love. You can't call me your son. I don't deserve that anymore. You can't call, I'm just not worthy. It's almost as if shame was the shadow that followed him home. And you know what? It can follow us home too. You see, shame is different from guilt. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. Guilt says, well, what I did wasn't good. Shame says, I'm no good. Shame tells us who we were instead of reminding us of who, by God's grace, who we are becoming. Several years ago, I, I had a chance, when it was back when we still lived in Florida, I had a chance to attend a PGA Tour event with a friend of mine that went to our church. Um, Russ called me and says, hey, I, I've got tickets for this golf tournament down in Miami. You want to go with me Thursday? I'm like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And so we left the, the, way before the sun came up to drive the three hours to Miami. And uh, so I meet up with Russ at his house, and we get, and he and, and another guy, and I, Russ is a retired guy. Uh, we get in his car, and this is just crappy old Honda Civic, just a just beater of a car. I'm thinking, will this car make it to Miami? I'm not sure. Three-hour drive? Under? We get in his old clunker car. We drive to Miami. We drive through Miami. We drive to the country club where this PGA Tour event is happening. There's stuff set up. There's people parking on the street. There's people parking in people's yards all along the thing. I'm like, I pulled out 20 bucks. Here, Russ, let me, let me pay for parking in your stinky old Honda Civic. Let me, let me pay for the parking in one of these years. No, no, I got it. I got it. And we keep driving past all where all these cars are parked. I'm like, where are we going? We get closer and closer to the country. And finally, we get to the gates of the country club where this event is happening. And Russ takes his 
junky little Civic and drives right up the front lane, right between the big gates. I'm like, what are we doing? They're going to think we're, 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 are like, we're are we like sneaking in with the caterers. What are we doing here, Russ? I don't understand what's happening. And we pull up, not only do we pull up the main lane, we pull up to the front entrance to this huge, expensive, exclusive country club where there's all these millionaires there in this crappy Civic, pull right under the overhang in front of the door, and we get out of the people's, get out. I mean, why? You can't just leave your car here. He gets out, he throws his keys to the valet. Well, aren't you something, mister? What are we doing? And we walk in the front door. We didn't have a pass. We didn't have a ticket. We had nothing. We walked right in the front door of this country club. I'm like, we're going to get arrested. What are we doing here? And there's a person standing there with a clipboard. And Russ says, Russ Mullen, party of three. Yes, sir, Mr. Mullen. Reaches over to the table, hands us these passes we put around our neck. The hospitality tents out this door. Help yourself to anything you see, anything you want. Go right on out there. You've got full access to the grounds and the clubhouse today. Have a wonderful day. I said, what? 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 We went to the tent. There's food. There's drinks. I didn't have to pay. It was, I'm like, I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, Russ, what happened? He goes, oh, did I tell you? I said, no. You didn't tell me. You said you had some tickets. He goes, oh, yeah. My son is a golf pro at another club. He's got all this stuff. He just said we could have it if we wanted. I didn't deserve it. I didn't pay for it, that's for sure. I didn't earn it. I was invited to a day of a lifetime. I was invited based on the provision of another. I got invited to the party based on someone else's name. Listen to me. Jesus was not bloodied and beaten and nailed to a cross. Jesus did not die and raise from the dead so that you could be the same old person carrying around all of your shame and insecurity and guilt. Instead, Jesus died to make you a new creation with a new identity. And it's not, it's not anything that you do. It's based on his provision, his bloodstained cross, his name. Back to our story. The son is just shaking his head, insisting, Dad, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father doesn't even listen to him. I love the father doesn't even say, hold on a minute, let me do something. Doesn't even acknowledge what the son is saying. He just says in verse 22, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, put sandals on his feet. When he says that, the son's head just had to have been spinning. What is happening? The robe, the ring, the sandals, that doesn't do much for you and me today, but each of those gifts from the father, the robe, the ring, the sandals, each of those gifts from the father was proof of his love and proof of his son's new identity. They each conveyed a powerful cultural meaning. In the ancient culture, the robe, if you wore a robe, the robe was a symbol of rest. The servants are ordered to bring the best robe in the house. Well, of course, the best robe in the house would have belonged to guess who? The father. Bring my robe, he's saying here. 
He's going to be clothed in the Father's robe. The Father doesn't give him an old robe, doesn't give him an extra robe, doesn't give him some bathrobe he stole from a hotel in Vegas. He, he gives him the best robe, his own robe. He says, you can relax. You can rest. You don't have to run anymore. You are home. You don't have to strive to earn my love anymore. You don't have to prove to me anything anymore. You are my son. Welcome home. The ring was a symbol of security. All throughout history, if you were in the presence of a king, you would kiss the ring as a, as a sign of humility, as a symbol of the king's power. Presenting a ring to someone was a sign that they had been entrusted with power with a position of authority. In essence, the father is transferring his own power to his son, his own authority to this son. Think about this. This son who has squandered all of this money on prostitutes and on parties, who has ended up broken and busted and bankrupt, and now he's got the father's identity, his financial identity with this ring, so to speak, he could leverage the family credit card. That's the significance here. The dad is trusting him with what is his, even though he doesn't deserve that trust. And finally, the sandals. The sandals were symbols of acceptance. In an ancient Jewish home, the only people who would wear sandals in the house were the homeowners. The servants went barefoot. And I kind of imagine, I, I don't know this, it's just how I picture the story. I picture the son crawling up out of the pig pen to return home looking much more like a servant than a son. So when the father gives him the sandals, he's saying, welcome home. You're not a servant. You're not a servant. You're not a hired hand. You are my son whom I love. That is who you are. It's as if the father is saying to this son, it is my decision how much I love you. It's not up to you. It's my decision how much I love you. So don't tell me you're not worthy to be called my son. I've got a robe and I've got a ring and I've got sandals to prove to the world that you are my son that I love. Now listen to me. God says to you today, and God says to me, God says it's my decision how much I love you. Don't tell me that you're not worthy to be called my son. Don't tell me you're not worthy to be called my daughter. There is a blood-stained cross. There is an empty tomb to prove to the world that you are my child whom I love. And friends, I want you to know when we come home, when we are welcomed home to Jesus, he welcomes you into the family of God. You get a new set of clothes as his son, as his daughter. You get a new identity. Galatians 3.27 says, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Do you, do you hear that? You've got the robe, you've got the ring, you've got the sandals. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone anymore. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. It is your new identity. And if you are clothed with Christ, let me just take 30 seconds to tell you who Scripture says you are. If you've been clothed with Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ and are clothed with Christ, you become God's child. You are God's workmanship. You are God's friend. You become God's vessel. You are now God's witness. You are God's ambassador. You are God's instrument. You are God's masterpiece. His most prized work of art. 
You are chosen and you are forgiven and you are adopted and you are complete and you are sanctified and you are loved forever. You are more than secure. You are more than a conqueror. You are healed. You are sheltered. You are constantly, you are constantly on God's mind. You are at peace. You're favored. You're God's design. You're significant. You're lavishly loved. You are accepted. You are his. Listen, friends, that is who you are. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ, that verse says. Well, after clothing his son in the robe and the ring and the sandals, the father, we all know this part of the story, the father throws an over-the-top party. Look at verse 23. The father continues, Now kill the, 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 the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party begins. So the father just throws this party to end all parties because when something's valuable, lost, and you find it, you celebrate, right? You throw a party. But not everybody goes to the party. Not everyone's at the party. There was another brother in this story of two brothers. The older brother. The one who didn't run away. The one who didn't waste all his father's money on prostitutes and parties. The brother that stayed home. The brother that did it the right way. And this guy is ticked. He's not happy about this at all. Meanwhile, verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, well, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all, all these years, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you asked me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours, this jerk little brother of mine, when he comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, look. Can you see the father? Look, pointing at the party. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. There are two words in this parable. I think I've told you this before. Two words in this parable that really shock me. That really capture my attention every time I read them. The first word is back there in verse 20, and it's the word run. We talked about that last week, if you were here. The father, seeing the son, runs to him. Out of character, out of cultural, uh, cultural priorities, he runs to his son. Doesn't care what anyone thinks, he runs to his son. That word captures my attention every time I see it. The other word in this parable that gets me every single time I see it is right there in verse 28 we just read, the word pleaded. Your translation may, may, may be the word begged. Where the father comes out of the party, out of the celebration, to the older mad brother and begs. Please, 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 please come to the party. Please come and celebrate. Please come and dance. Get, get the picture in your mind. 
There's a party going on inside. Music, celebration, food, dancing, wine. It's a party on the inside. And outside, the older brother, angry, disgusted, self-righteous, judgmental. And right in the middle between the angry and the celebration stands the father, begging, pleading, and that's where the parable ends. I've told you this is my favorite parable. I hate how this parable ends. It just stops. Jesus is done. He's telling the story. It just stops. Doesn't tie a bow around it. There's no happy ending. There's no nice resolution. There's no moment of, all right, Dad, I get it. All right, he's home. Let's go celebrate. It doesn't happen. It's not there. It just ends. Please come to the party. I will wonder till the day I die. Does the older brother go to the party? Because Jesus doesn't tell us. And it's shocking. It's a bit disturbing. It's extraordinarily frustrating, at least to me, because I'm looking at a choice. Jesus turns the parable on me. Because too often I'm an older brother, and I'm judgmental, and I'm angry about what somebody else did. Will I let go? of my judgmental anger? Will I let go of my, well, I'm better than you, attitude? Because if I don't let go of it, I can't celebrate. I can't dance. I can't go to the party. Now, let, let me just show you real quick. Let me show you real, some, real, some, some warning signs, three warning signs that you may be an older brother. The first one is anger. And that's this, this older brother in the story. He's ticked. And I don't, I don't mean righteous anger here. and I don't mean inappropriate anger. I mean just, just flat out mad about it. So let me ask, when other people sin, do you get mad or do you get sad? Do you get ticked and angry? Or does it hurt? Is your first reaction, I cannot believe she did. Did you hear what he did? Did you, did you see what that happened? Oh my goodness. If, if that's your first reaction, only well, it's not goodness coming out of it. That's your first reaction, anger. That's a good sign you're an older brother. Here's the second one jealousy right underneath anger is jealousy oh, just like this where's my party dad well, why are we celebrating for them I did everything right where's my party what about me who's going to throw a party because Larry came to church 10 weeks in a row who's going to throw a party because I memorized the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes who's going to do that jealousy and right behind jealousy is number three judgment, judgmentality I made up this is not a real word I made this up because I, I couldn't find a better word judgment, judgmentality because I judge someone else's sins to be worse than mine, to be bigger than mine, to break God's heart more than mine break God's heart. And when you've got anger and jealousy and judgmentality flowing through your veins, warning, you may have substituted doing good for being good. And the Father's got some advice for all us nice boys and girls, us older brothers and sisters, us church people. It's a little bit insulting, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Here's my paraphrase. Here's what I think God's advice to you and me, that's older brothers, is. You ready? I'm, I'm telling you, it's a little insulting. I love you, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. You ain't all that. Can I say that in church? Can I say that? You, you ain't all that. I know you think you've got it all figured out. I know you think you don't need any help. I, think you, you, I know you think you've got it all under control, but, but you ain't all that. If you don't believe me, just ask your kids. They'll tell you. <laughs> 
You, as a matter of fact, just turn to the person sitting next to you and just look at them and just say, you ain't all that. Some of you want to do this to your wife for years. Just go ahead and tell her right now. You get permission. You ain't all that. Yeah, yeah, you ain't all that. But, but now you need to tell them the rest of it too. You can't just stop there. Because the father's words are son, daughter, you ain't all that, but I love you anyway. You ain't all that, but I, but I love you anyway. You know what's interesting? Is that the father was trying to save the older brother. The father who ran to the younger brother who was lost, who ran to him to save him, he comes out of the party. What's he trying to do? He's trying to save the older brother. Come here, let me save you too. Rich Viotis preaches in Brooklyn. He wrote this the other day. I saw this. It says, The younger son left the house and was far away from home. The older son stayed in the house but was far away from home. The father wants both of them home, but both need to turn back. One from his self-debasing disobedience, the other from his self-righteous obedience. Is that you today? Listen, I know I'm talking to, to, to good people, right? I'm talking to good folks. And when we've heard, read this story and we've gone through this story the last three weeks, maybe it is that you identify strong, more strongly with the, with the younger brother. And maybe you say, that's me. I've run and I'm flat on my back. I'm in the pig pen of my life. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to have to come to my senses at some point. And maybe that's where you are. And if that's you, the father would say to you, you ain't all that, but I love you. Let me save you. Let me help pull you up out of that pig pen and welcome you home. But if that's not you today, and maybe you can say all the books of the Bible and the Beatitudes and the Ten Commandments, and you've been to church 10, 10 weeks in a row or more, even with the global pandemic, you still came to church. Listen to me, God still wants to put his arm around you and say, you ain't all that, but I love you. Let me save you. Why don't you quit trying to save yourself? Because you can't. Let me save you. Because you too, older brother, older sister, God wants to say to you too, welcome home. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for welcoming us home. No matter if we've turned and run and wasted and squandered the goodness that you have given us, and opportunities, and relationships, and we've just blown it all up to do our own thing. Father, we see you there on the horizon looking for us to welcome us home, to run to us, to get there before the shame, to get there before we're cut off, and to welcome us home. And Father, those of us who never have wandered away, and we've done it what we thought was the right way, and we've tried to... to tried to prove to you that we deserve your love, that we've earned it, that we've done enough to get from you what we think we need from you. Father, remind us today that, to, that you want to welcome us home too. That it has nothing to do with who we are, what we've done. That it's all about that blood-stained cross and that empty tomb and the name of Jesus that is above every name. The name that brings us back home to you. So, Father, whether today we identify as an older son or a younger son, thank you for welcoming us home. 